Well, how are you doing at hanging on to Christ this Christmas? Does Christmas just seem confusing to you? Perhaps chaotic during this time of year? Well, I submit that if you want to understand Christmas, you must first understand who Christ is and what he came to do. We could say it like this, the mission of the cross is hidden in the message of the cradle. We're wrapping up our series called The Cast of Christmas. Three weeks ago, we pondered multiple prophecies found in the Old Testament and how they were fulfilled with pinpoint precision by the coming of Christ. Two weeks ago, we focused on how the angels gave glory to God and declared the message of good news of great joy for all the people. Last weekend, we studied the shepherds and we learned how God brings us through a specific process so we can make spiritual progress. Matthew's gospel begins with an extended genealogy of Jesus to show us is his humanity. The narrative beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 describes his deity. I'm going to ask my wife Beth to come now and read this passage. Would you stand in honor of God's word and listen as this scripture is read? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. For our purposes today, we're going to focus on verses 21 to 23, where we're given two names of Jesus. Are you aware there are some 200 names of Jesus in the Bible? And in Bible times, names didn't just distinguish or label a person. No, a name revealed the very nature of an individual. In the Old Testament, the term for name means individual mark. It communicated an individual's essence. When we come to the New Testament, the word for name comes from a word that means to know. So to know the names of Jesus means to personally know his personality. Many years ago when I was in college as a new follower of Christ, I had a poster in my dorm room. I don't know what happened to this poster, but it listed all many of the names of Jesus. I looked at that every day. 
Here are just a few, advocate, lamb of God, Lord of lords, king of kings, man of sorrows, teacher, alpha and omega, day spring, anchor, judge, bread of life, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and Emmanuel and Jesus. These last two names are found in our passage. So let's examine their profound meaning. You shall call his name Jesus. And then we read what Joseph did, and he called his name Jesus. Second name, they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's interesting, right in this passage, both names are defined for us. So listen again to verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, Comma, for he will save his people from their sins. Because God is for us, he forgives us. That's the mission or purpose of Jesus. Notice, secondly, they shall call his name Emmanuel, and we're given the definition there, which means God with us. Because God is with us. He forbears with us. That's the message or the presence of Jesus. You see, the mission of the cross is hidden in the message of the cradle. Let's consider these two names in reverse order. First, Emmanuel. Because God is with us. He forbears with us. Listen to verses 22 and 23 again. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Details surrounding the birth of Jesus were predicted by the prophets, fulfilling prophecies made hundreds of years earlier. This right here is a prophecy found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, given 700 years before this time. The word behold can be translated like this, lo and behold. It was designed to be startling, surprising. It was designed to get attention. The definite article, the, indicates God had in mind one specific virgin named Mary, whom he had chosen to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. That shows the humanity of Jesus. The next phrase helps us see his deity and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, let's take apart that name. The letters I am means with, A N U means us, L means the mighty creator God. So that name means the strong God with us, or more literally, the with us God. Friend, God is not some distant deity. Growing up, I viewed God as majestic and mighty and mad at me. (laughs) Maybe that's where you're at. It wasn't until my college roommate helped me see that God is also gracious and he's loving and he's near. So when Adam and Eve sin, death 
entered the world. A separation took place between the creator and his creation. For example, boundaries were established around the perimeter of Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given. God said, you can't come any closer. There was distance there. Walls surrounded the most holy place in the temple. And only certain people were allowed to approach God at certain times. And when they did, they had to bring certain sacrifices to be found acceptable. So there was separation. There was distance there. But in the fullness of time, that's Galatians 4.4, God parted the heavens and he came down to dwell intimately and personally with his people. We sang about that in the song, Oh, What a Glorious Night, Let the Earth Receive Her King. I know that love has come. All were amazed when they heard how God came down on this glorious night. John chapter 1, verse 14, captures what Christmas is all about. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Several years ago, I read a very powerful post. It's written by a guy named John Pavlovitz, and it's called Holidays and Empty Chairs. I decided to read the article again since there are now a couple empty chairs in our family this year. Here's an excerpt, and I know many of you will be able to relate. Though you may indeed have so many reasons to feel fortunate and to give thanks, what this season is now marked by more than anything else is absence. Surrounded by noise and activity in life, your eyes and your heart can't help but drift to that quiet space that now remains unoccupied, the cruel vacancy of the empty chair. Though they're supposed to nurture gratitude and deposit peace within us, the holidays have a way of magnifying loss. In the middle of the celebration and thanksgiving, reminding us of our incompleteness, our lack, our mourning. The empty chair? Well, it's different for everyone, though it is equally intrusive. For some, it is a place of vigil. For some, it is a fresh wound. This may be the first time the chair has been empty for you. Or you may have grown quite accustomed to the subtraction. For some, (coughs) the chair is a memorial, the stark reminder of what was and no longer is, of that which never will be again. It's a household headstone where we eulogize and grieve and remember. A face we squint to see, a hand we stretch to hold, a voice we strain to hear. Now, I appreciate how the writer did not wrap up his post with pleasant platitudes. He didn't try to tie everything together with a big red bow on the top. No, this is how he ends. Right now, I just want you to know that I see your waiting, your grief and your pain, and that I wait and grieve and suffer too. In that way, we all sit together in this, gathered around this same incomplete table. Maybe that is all we can offer one another, our compassionate presence in the face of this terrible absence. 
I would add that there are other reasons for an empty chair. Perhaps you're experiencing a relational rupture, a prodigal family member, a family member in the hospital or in a nursing home. And I would add one other thing that I found helpful is the presence of Emmanuel. You see, God is for you, and he is with you when you are weeping. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You see, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Allow Emmanuel to fill your emptiness as you give your grief to God. You see, the mission of the cross is hidden in the message of the cradle. Let's look now at the second name, Jesus. Because he is Emmanuel, he is with us, which means he forbears with us. And because his name is Jesus, he is for us. He forgives us. Let's look again at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, We read there, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Interestingly, the angel didn't say to Joseph, like he had said to Zechariah, she will bear you a son. Now, why didn't he say that? Well, because Joseph was not the physical father of Jesus. Now, those who knew him best in the gospel simply referred to him as Jesus, using that name around 600 times. Though other titles like Jesus Christ and Lord Jesus were also used. Jesus or Jesus is the Greek form of a Hebrew name translated as Joshua or Yeshua. The full name is Jehoshua, which means Jehovah saves. So watch this. When naming the baby Jesus, God the Father was saying he would save his people through him because the mission of Jesus is to save people from their sins. As Savior, Jesus came to set us free from sin and to deliver us from the dominion of the devil. That word save, that's a radical word. To save someone who is unable to do anything to save himself. So picture someone out in the ocean drowning. They can't save themselves. They need a savior or someone who stopped breathing. Perhaps you saw this just yesterday. I don't know where it was, but it was at an airport going through security line. A TSA agent jumped over this piece of equipment because a baby had stopped breathing. And this TSA agent ended up saving this baby's life. That's the idea of saving it. This baby could not breathe on his own. Someone needed to save that child. Later, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, a man named Simeon came up to them. And he said this about Jesus, for my eyes have seen your salvation. As he left, a widow named Anna spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Friend, just settle this. Because we're sinners, we need a Savior. And sin is basically missing the mark of God's standard. 
The Bible says all of us have sinned and deserve judgment from God. I like how Jared Wilson puts it. All you have to do to qualify for the gospel is to be a sinner. We are born pre-qualified. The bar is set so low. And the only way to miss out is to think yourself above it. I came across a picture of a mug with Santa on it containing these words. You're all naughty. <laughs> Romans three ten through 12 is referenced at the bottom. This is what it says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. And let me see if I can explain the crux of Christmas. By means of the virgin birth, Jesus entered the world guiltless of the sin of Adam. And since he was born of Mary, he is truly human. Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is free from inherited sin handed down from Adam. Jesus is both the son of Mary and the son of God. Jesus is both ordinary and as Emmanuel, he is extraordinary. He is son and and Savior. He is holy and human. He is fully God and fully man. He is God with us, and he is God for us. He forbears, and he forgives. And so Jesus came to die in our place as the full and final sacrifice for our sins. Emmanuel took on human flesh, He lived the perfect life and then he died as sacrifice for our sins, facing the full fury of the Father's righteous wrath in our place. And in exchange, when we believe, we receive his righteousness. His substitutionary death demonstrated the Father's love and satisfied his justice, resulting in salvation for all who repent and receive him by faith. And friends, this wonderful gift is available free of charge. And as Emmanuel, Jesus is fully able to stand in our place and take our punishment. He paid for our sins precisely because he had no guilt or shame of his own. Check out 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yesterday I read a post by Chap Bettis, and I can't stop thinking about it. And so here's part of what he wrote. Several years ago, I came across a story in National Geographic that has stayed with me. In it, I began to feel the incarnation in a minuscule way. So he's talking about beginning to understand what Christmas is all about. Perhaps it'll affect you too. The following is my summary from the article. It's a story about people like Dinesh Parmar in India. One of 10,000 Bangis, Parmar earns money by manually cleaning latrines sewers and gutters, and by removing dead animals from the streets. He's a bangi. 
a member of the lowest grouping of the untouchable cast. Let me describe a day's work for Parmer. He removes the manhole cover. Cockroaches scurry from the darkness as the stench below filled the street. Parmer hesitated for only an instant and then dropped into the hole with no gloves, no gas mask, his body hidden inside. He methodically lifted bucket after bucket of excrement over his head. Off to the next job, he led the way to a nearby lane. He climbed into several more manholes to scoop out clots of filth and sludge. And then he writes this, Do you recoil at that story and that picture? I do. I can tell that you do. And then he writes this, Do you love this man enough to leave your country, your wealth, your rights as a U.S. citizen, your future opportunities to enter his world? To become a bongi, to earn money in this way, to so humble yourself and humiliate yourself, to save a few? Oh, and by the way, the majority aren't going to appreciate the sacrifice you have made. They're going to reject you and kill you. Would you go? I can't, he writes. The gap is too wide. The sacrifice is too much. But Jesus did this and more. Jesus loved us so much that he humbled himself. He came and he entered our world of filth and stench. And he became the lowest of the low to save you and to save me. That is the grace of Jesus. And that helps me think about the sacrifice of the incarnation. And I am speechless and humbled, he writes. Friends, Jesus came down to lift us up, reversing the curse of Adam's sin. Well, let me apply this. When you feel alone, isolated, Remember, Emmanuel is with you as one who forbears with you. And he will hang on to you. When you feel lost, like there's no way out of this pattern of sin and self-centered living that you've been going through, remember, Jesus is for you as one who forgives. He hung on the cross for you. So at the cradle, we see that God is with us. At the cross, we see that he is for us. And when he returns, well, he'll come to get us. And if you want to learn more about the second coming of Christ, I invite you back on Sunday for one of our two services. We have a service at 9 and 1045. The Savior, unfortunately, came to this world, and sadly, he was turned away. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
The world did not receive him because they didn't recognize him. They did not recognize him because they were unwilling to relinquish control of their lives and admit their sinfulness. How about you? What's keeping you from fully receiving Jesus Christ right now? Perhaps you're thinking, man, I got to clean up my life. I got a bunch of stuff that's not so good. I got to get better at this, better at that. I got to stop this. I got to stop that. And then I'll get serious. No, that's not how it works. Don't wait to clean up your life because you'll never be clean enough. It's been said salvation is not something we achieve, but something we receive. The very next verse tells us how to become a member of God's family, but to all who did receive him. That's an action. That's a decision of your will to say, I'm going to receive you, Jesus. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He came to rule over the universe and to reign in our hearts. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, made this statement shortly before he died. This is what he said. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. A Sunday school class performed an unforgettable Christmas pageant one year. As Mary and Joseph made their way slowly up to the inn, Joseph knocked on the door. Wally, the innkeeper, now I know the Bible does not mention the innkeeper. We just talked about that this last weekend, so just work with me on this one. So they came to the door, and Wally bellowed, Who's there? Joseph answered softly, I'm looking for shelter for me and my wife. Wally opened the door and he said, well, you're going to have to look elsewhere. There's no room for you in the inn. Joseph tried another approach. He said, but you don't understand. We've traveled so far, like 80 miles, and, and my wife's heavy with child. She needs to rest. Well, at that point, Wally just started staring intently at Mary. There was like a long pause. The audience grew anxious. And so there was a prompter off stage who began to whisper, Wally, say, no, be gone. No, be gone. But finally, Wally looked at the young couple, took a deep breath and said, no, be gone. Joseph then put his arm around Mary. Mary put her head on Joseph's shoulder and they walked forlornly away. But Wally at that point was supposed to shut the door but he didn't. He just kept watching them. He just stood watching. And then the pageant took an unexpected turn. Wally's mouth dropped open. His brow creased. His eyes began to fill with tears. And he shouted out, Joseph, wait a minute. Come back. Bring Mary with you. And then a smile beamed across Wally's face as he blurted out, you can have my room. Well, Mary and Joseph didn't know what to do, and the audience was very anxious again. The quick-thinking Joseph saved the program when he said these words, oh no, the stable would be just fine, really. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have space in your life? And I'm not talking about just opening up a little space. 
See, some of us are so filled with other things and we're searching for meaning and satisfaction in relationships and when that relationship no longer makes me happy, then I'm out and I'm looking for somebody else who's gonna make me happy or it's a possession. You're looking, that didn't last long. I'm gonna get something else or maybe it's a change of a job, a change of a location, a change of a house. You're searching for that which will satisfy and none of that will satisfy. But as a result, your life's filled with all these things. So I ask again, do you have Do you have room? Are you ready to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life? Ponder this. Jesus had to be Emmanuel to be Savior, and once he becomes your Savior, he becomes your Emmanuel. Oh, would you hang on to Christ this Christmas by opening the door of your life to him right now? There are so many ways to describe Jesus This week, I heard an interview with a pastor from Scotland who used four words to describe him. I can't get them out of my mind. Well, I hope they stick with you as well. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is great. Jesus is good. And Jesus is gracious. See, the mission of the cross is hidden in the message of the cradle. I like what Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Are you ready right now to prepare him room? Will you give him your sins so he can give you his salvation? Don't delay. Commit yourself to him today. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and I'm going to lead in a prayer. And you go ahead and pray this along with me if it's where you're at. Uh, you can just, just pray it silently. And after I'm done, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand if you made a decision today to ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I, I don't understand how you can love me when I don't measure up. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I've been filling my life with all these things. I've frankly just been living for myself and for my own pleasure. But right now, I want to repent. I turn from the way I've been living. Thank you for the reminder that you are with me and you are for me. I need you to be my Emmanuel and my Savior. I need your forbearance and your forgiveness. And so would you save me from my sins and from myself? I know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so right now, I turn from how I've been living and I turn to you. Jesus Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins as my substitute and that you were raised from the dead on the third day and that by rising again, I can be born again. And so I now receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, not just part of my life, all of my life. Help me to live for you and not for me any longer. Make me into the person you want me to be. Enable me to bring glory to you and good to others. Oh, and would you give me the thrill of hope 
so that my weary soul will rejoice in you. In the name of Emmanuel, Yeshua, who is Savior, Christ the Lord, I ask this. Amen.